2: Good morning, this is Bennett Kelly, and today I'm broadcasting live from the Foundry Building in um, historic Georgetown in Washington, D.C. We're right on the C&O Canal. It's a beautiful he- facility here. And um, I'm in town for um, the Privacy and Security Forum at George Washington University. It should be an interesting week, but um, we have a great show for you today, even if we are doing it remotely. But first, I just want to take a, a moment to send our, our deepest sympathies and um, express our, our sadness and our prayers over what has happened this past week in Las Vegas. A lot of our friends of the show and, um, and people I've worked with uh, live in Las Vegas, and um, it's just an unspeakable horror and tragedy, and once again, um, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with them. But today, we're going to be talking about a very important issue, and we're going to be talking about our elections. And lately, our elections have been coming under attack in many different ways, actually, Um, through attacks on who can vote through voter suppression, um, through attacks on how the votes or the offices are organized. And right today in the Supreme Court, there's an argument going on about um, partisan gerrymandering and whether it has gone too far and whether the Supreme Court needs to step in and set guidelines so we don't have... um, a House of Representatives that does not reflect the actual will of the people. And another area where vote has become an attack, as we've seen a lot in the media, is in the area of hacking of voting systems. And there's been a number of reports about the Russians attempting to or potentially succeeding in attacking um, some of the, or penetrating some of the voting systems in several states in the last election, Um, but most recently there was a, at the July DEFCON conference, there was a voting machine hacker village in which um, 30 pieces of equipment were available for hackers to attempt to penetrate, and um, the good news that is that in the first 89 minutes, they were completely unsuccessful. The bad news, in 90 minutes, they were. So with us today is the person who organized that uh, initiative, Jake Braun, and Jake is um, here. He has been active in this issue. He's with Cambridge Global Advisors, and he's speaking to us from Washington, D.C., Jake, why don't you give us a little background on your work in the, in this area of uh, election security?
3: Sure. So um, I actually started out my career um, working on political campaigns, and uh, I I was uh, um, worked on in voter protection on uh, multiple campaigns, uh, working on you know voter security issues. There, you know, nobody ever really thought uh, years ago that cybersecurity was one of the security issues we had to be concerned about. Um, but nonetheless, you know, through that process, got to know a lot about uh, the types of voting machines that are used in the United States and, and uh, you know, in different parts of the country and so on. And then went to uh, Homeland Security, where I was the White House liaison to the Department of Homeland Security. And, and there started to get, you know, steeped in cybersecurity issues. And, uh, you know, it had been brought up before um, that, gee, somebody might be able to hack into our into our voting machines um, and affect the outcome of the election. But honestly, we had always before 2016 thought that that was really a tinfoil hat issue um, because we were like, who in their right mind would ever want to would ever take on the risk of doing that? I mean, it's a federal crime, obviously, um, you know, a nation state would have to, you know, incur the wrath of, of you know, the U.S. government, um, U.S. military and so on if they did such a thing. And so we just never worried about it. Um, you know, after 2016, uh, we realized that, well, we really do need to worry about it. Um, okay. And so uh, the DEF CON Hacker Conference, uh, which is the largest hacker conference in the world, um, put on by one of our board members, uh, Jeff Moss, um, is is a place that, that ge- generates a lot of media attention um, around different issues like this. Uh, two years ago, they, they hacked into cars and were able to shut down the brakes of a Jeep from about a mile and a half away remotely. And um, after I heard a lot of the vendors and a lot of the election officials around the country saying, oh, you know, the machines are unhackable and the databases are air-gapped and uh, and all this other sort of nonsense, um, that frankly, nobody from a mature cyber industry like the finance industry or uh, or the defense industrial base um, would ever say that any of their stuff is unhackable because no one who knows what they're talking about would ever say that. um, so they, uh, so I said to Jeff, like, Hey, you know, we need to kind of, you know, pop this balloon <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, get, get rid of this idea that, um, that, you know, there's, uh, there's anything in this space that's unhackable. Um, so why don't we have a, what they call a, a, a village, a hacker village, um, to, uh, hack machines. And, uh, and by the way, on top of the machine, the machines got the most press. Um, however, we got a, a clerk um, who was uh, one of the more forward-thinking folks in the space, uh, with the guys in Cook County, Illinois, who I who I really give a lot of props to, um, gave us the, the kind of a watered-down specs to their network, and we recreated um, the clerk's network in our um, in our uh, in a in a cyber range at the event, and we're creating uh, or providing training to state and local government officials, and anybody else who wanted it on on how to defend um, uh, a, a clerks' network. Because, um, of course, clerks are the ones who who administer elections um,
2: right. uh,
3: around the country. And so we were doing all that. And, and of course, as you can imagine, showing how porous those networks are as well.
2: Now, it, just a side, side note for our listeners, and who may not be familiar with this, but we don't have a national election. We have 51 state elections, and among those various state elections, the voting systems may be determined statewide, or may be determined countywide, or even you know, municipal-wide, based on whatever you know, the registrar there decides is the appropriate system. And so it's not like we have one national system that has, you know, common standards, common procedures, which, you know, is a plus and a minus, I guess, if you're thinking about defending against cyber attacks. All right. Well, and, and – go ahead. Sorry. No, I was going to say and, – and, um, just to highlight that point. But and, and so for you, you had to get cooperation, or did you get cooperation with the voting machine manufacturers to do this? Or –
3: uh no we did not in fact it's funny uh one of them sent out a letter um after the event you know saying how it was uh you know not not relevant or not germane to the discussion which was ridiculous and in the, and in there they said that they had actually called homeland security uh in advance of us doing this to ask if it was even legal for us to do it so it's uh, i guess they were actually active they told him, yes, it is legal for us to do it. Um, we got a, because of, and I think this is a really important point, by the way, uh, because this is coming up for, um, I guess, reapproval approval um, in, I believe, uh, the Senate, I'm not sure, um, the DCMA, um, I, I think I'm screwing up the acronym, but essentially the uh, provision that allows you to do um, packing for research purposes, um, okay. uh, well, uh, that was passed a couple of years ago. Allowed us to uh, to do all this legally. Um, so DHS so like appropriately told them no.
2: White White had immunity.
3: Exactly. Exactly.
2: Yeah. And so they knew about it and actually, you know, said um, one, they said, you know, this is irrelevant. Nothing's going to happen. And Two, they contacted um, a, the um, the Department of Homeland Security and said, hey, what about this? And despite knowing about it, tell us about the results.
3: Uh, Well, it was really remarkable. I mean, honestly, um, some of the people who've worked in this space for years uh, were saying to us, you know, look, you guys really need to be careful about what you're going to say is going to come out of this because... You know, um, in the past we've had, you know, academics who, you know, spent an entire month hacking into a machine and and even then they couldn't really, uh, you know, affect key components of the election and so on. And, uh, and, and so we really kind of downplayed it because we didn't really know what was going to happen. Um, I had kind of an inkling of what was going to happen, but I uh, didn't really know. And then, of course, as you said at the outset, um, you know, not only were the hackers... And, and by the way, some of these people were 15-year-old kids. Um, none of the people in the room, except for my except, except for my two co-organizers, um, Harry Hurstie and Professor Matt Blaze, who are both really brilliant uh, um, hackers, um, none of them besides those two had any experience with these machines before. None of them have ever touched one of these machines before. And uh, they got into the first machine remotely, by the way, without physical access in, as you said, the first hour and a half. Um, and they had gotten into all the machines uh, by the end of the weekend. So every single voting machine um, that was there, they had gotten into, including some of the electronic poll books, um, which is like in some states, when you check in um, to vote, they, they check you in electronically. Um and it was it's you know, these hackers always have a good sense of humor and they were after about the first day, day and a half, they were so kind of disgusted with the lack of security in these machines that they began um like playing jokes with the machines. So they like rickrolled the machine. Um, you know, where they got the machine to play that Rick Ashley song, Never Gonna Give You Up. Yeah. Um <laughs> they they were they were like uh, getting the machines to play um, cartoons of cats, you know, chasing balls and stuff like that. Um, they uh, um, they were they were doing things like you know uploading um, fictitious names like Mickey Mouse and stuff like that and having them vote. Um, it was uh, it was it was pretty remarkable.
2: So let me let's talk about that. Um, they got access to the poll book, which you said that's. That's basically the check-in. So all the registered voters. Can, does that mean they got access to the tabulations as well? Uh,
3: the tabulation would be on the on the voting machine side. Um, so, but what you can do with the poll book is you can add or delete voters, um, meaning okay. that. Um, you could you could say, hey, we, we want to stop a bunch of people from being able to vote, so we're going to hack into these poll books and delete, you know, a third of the voters, and therefore you have, um, you know, a third of the people not be able to show up. And if you can imagine, you know, doing that across, you know, the city of Detroit or the city of Columbus, well, I mean, that could flip either one of those states if all of a sudden a third of the people in Detroit couldn't vote or a third of the people in Columbus right. couldn't vote. Um at the same time you could also you could also um uh, take people off um and uh and then show that they make it look like they had not voted, voted even though they had so that people could
2: vote multiple times again right wow. um um and go ahead no no uh, um and so you have a system you had were there any voting machines that are in use today in the United States that weren't accessed under this no. spillage? So every no, voting we, system we got- in the United States was penetrated. You know, I mean, in terms right. of, let me rephrase that. The the type of machine that is being used, every type of machine that is being used at, in the polls in 2016 or you know upcoming elections, you tested and they all failed. Correct. Um, I think F. I think
3: what some of the what exactly I think what what some of the vendors and some of the secretaries of state and and clerks um, um, who you know would like to push back on this would say, oh well you know you didn't have the most updated software um, you know we've we've uh-huh. we've patched this hole or that hole, to and our response is. <laughs> Okay, great. Give us the most updated software. and Let's see how long it takes our guys to get in. Um, I, I, I am uh, pretty confident, having seen what these guys have done in, in many other industries, uh, not just this one, that uh, the results would be largely the same. Because, because guess what? They're largely the same in every industry um, that that uh, hackers are brought in to try and get into stuff. I just had uh, Tony Sager, uh, the former head of defense at NSA. Um, speaking to my class on Monday at University of Chicago, and he was laughing, saying, you know, uh, I'm so, it's boring to, to me to hear, oh, they were able to get into this system and that system. He's like, of course you can get into whatever system. You know, we, hackers can get into every system that exists um, uh, in the world. There's there's uh, the
2: current yeah. NSA, guy in charge of defense of so the NSA today?
3: Uh, no, a former, um, he retired a couple of years ago, but he was the, the longest okay. serving. Uh, he was the longest, he, I mean, he he's served under, like, under,
2: he's like, so what?
3: Uh, he, he's the longest serving, um, head of defense at, a, at, a NSA, Tony Shaker.
2: Right. But is he saying, and maybe I'm, missing, I'm misunderstanding him. Is he saying, so what? Big deal? You were able to ask. Uh, no, no,
3: no, no. He's, he's, he's saying, um. That it's such an obvious point that the hackers would get in um, that, that essentially any, anybody who would claim that they can't get in doesn't know what they're talking about because okay. the hackers can always get in.
2: So, in essence, the two alarming points from this exercise one is that they said you, you can't get in, and which, you know, Mrs. Sager's point is, well, that's ridiculous. And two was how easy it was to get in
3: well right and i think um I, I, and I, I think there's a couple other things that are even more disturbing uh, as far as i'm concerned um i because of of mr seger's point that that of course they got in um if, if this was the military uh industrial base or if this was the finance industry um no one who is senior leadership, even outside of the cyber division of these entities that like, let's say Lockheed Martin, Northrop Grumman chase, um, Citibank, whatever, nobody from the CEO to the board, to the, the CIO, whoever would say we can't be hacked. Um, right. They would say, actually, in fact, I guarantee that we're being hacked right now, probably by multiple actors. (laughs) Um, Uh, you know, because, because, you know, the bad guys can get in. Um, what a mature industry says is, yes, of course they can get in. We're being attacked by nation state actors with essentially unlimited resources, um, that have means, know how, and motive, um, to hack into our systems. And the question is whether they can get in. The question is, um, as critical infrastructure, how do we partner with our, um, with our, uh, Counterparts in the national security agencies, um, and and our and our competitors, by the way, because they do all work together on this issue, um, to try and find the bad guys faster, uh, make sure that we're all all using um, top of the line best practice in cybersecurity, um, share information with each other, um, and uh, and so on and so forth, um, and that's what a mature uh, an industry that's mature in cybersecurity. That's what they do is they say, of course the bad guys can get in. We're all sitting ducks. We need to work together with the national security folks. And unfortunately, what's happening in this industry, because it is a immature industry related to cybersecurity, is they're saying, oh, you can't get in. Oh, that particular test wasn't valid. Oh, we're air-gapped. Or where, you know, uh, these individual machines, you need physical access to them and so on, which is just ridiculous in and of its face. I mean, if you can get into NSA, J.P. Morgan, and um, cybercom, Attackers hackers can get into those places, uh, any secretary of state or vendor who says they can't get into their system is, is either crazy or a liar, one of the two.
2: Or, or, or needs to be drug tested. Um, <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> but um, we, we, we're going to take a short break. When we get back. We're going to talk about what exactly does this mean? And from this dramatic test and, and what has been the fallout. And you'll see that there has been already um, ripples about this this event and uh, other election systems are now deciding whether what they should do. Um, after these messages, you're listening to Cyberlaw and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for
1: more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Rankings. Let top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors.
3: Start your search engine and set your
1: servers into overdrive. It's webmasterradio.fm steering you
3: into the winner's circle.
1: Webmasterradio.fm, we're everywhere. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and business report only on webmasterradio.fm
2: And we're back and as usual information on our guests in this show is on our, um, our show notes which are on a blog at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com and you also can also follow us on Twitter and if you look at our show notes we have a, a tribute to the great um, singer-songwriter Tom Petty as well as um, character actor Harry Dean Stanton who I, I once had a spent a, a very long late night um, after hours uh, with and he's a very interesting guy. But any event, um, we're here talking about uh, this remarkable test of the voting systems and and Jake, so what has been the fallout from this?
3: Well, I think you know we've had we've had things that are both uh, good and and bad that have come or maybe good enough so good that have come from it. Um, so on the not so good side, <laughs> um, I think I mentioned to you, you know, we've had some secretaries of state come out and say, Oh, this was just a stunt. And we've had some, right. some of the vendors come out and like I said, sent sent letters to some of their, uh, customers saying, Oh, well, you know, um, they, they, this, this was, uh, you know, not a real, real, uh, test or whatever. Um, so I think this like state of denial that they're still in, which again is, is just the sign of a um, an immature industry in terms of cybersecurity. Like I said, J.P. Morgan Chase or Lockheed Martin or Northrop Grumman would, would never have that response to something like this, um, because they're immature industries in cybersecurity. Um, right. So that's been not great. At the same time, what I will say that's been really encouraging is that I've seen um, the Department of Homeland Security uh, and um, and Congress taking this very seriously from both sides of the aisle. So. Um, we had Representative Phil Hurd, who's a Republican congressman from Texas and uh, head of the Cyber Caucus in the House, um, and his uh, Democratic counterpart uh, Longman, whose name I always butcher, um, but he's a congressman from Maryland. Um, they did a Facebook Live from uh, the the Hacker Village, um, you know, saying that you know Hurd actually, to his credit. Um, started off saying, "Hey, this is not a Democrat or Republican issue. This is an, an American issue. Um, you know, right. we need to protect our voting systems and so on." So that that was really encouraging. I know several of us have been have been asked to come in and talk to members of Congress on this issue, um, mm-hmm. both sides of the aisle, and and we've done that and and uh, are seeing you know them take this very seriously. Um, and then two uh, DHS. I've been very impressed with DHS's response. They they sent multiple. They sent some of their most high tech. Um, uh, hacker guys to the conference to to get a sense of what we're doing. Um, to to um, uh, they they had some of their most senior leadership um, um, uh, come and look at it uh, and and you know get a sense of what was going on. And uh, they've actually asked us and some of the uh, key hacker guys who um, came in uh, to run the thing. Harry Harry, Harry Hersey, sorry. And Professor Matt Blaze um, have asked them to come in and, and brief as well. Um, and in fact, they've actually got us coming and doing the briefing um, here in the next uh, in the next couple days. So uh, Homeland Security is clearly taking this very seriously, as as is Congress. And I think, you know, because these guys or the guys and gals who run Congress and, and Homeland Security, I think do get a sense of this of the the fact that A, the hackers can always get in. Um, And B, you know, this this industry has a nation state after it um, that it, uh, you know, has essentially unlimited resources, has clearly some of the most capable hackers in the world, this being Russia, of course, and has a very clear motive uh, uh, to continue doing this. And so, you know, they're they're obviously taking it very seriously.
2: So um, So let let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. Do you think there was hacking... Involving the voting machines in 2016. Um, so I'll say two things on that. Um,
3: one is I have I have very little interest in relitigating 2016 because I don't right. want to make this a partisan issue. Um, and I think if we look backwards, uh, that that will happen. Um, both sides will kind of dig in and, and take their partisan stance. I, I I want to look forward on this. Um, so that we can, you know, both parties kind of work together to, to you know, protect against a common enemy, which is Russia. Um, that being said, um, they, it is clear that voter registration databases were breached, and clerks and secretaries of state networks were breached. Um, there has been some reports of hackers getting into voting machines. Obviously, there was the NSA leak about uh, hackers getting into one of the voting machine companies, um, in advance of the 2016 election. Um, so uh, you know, there's, there's plenty of evidence out there that they, uh, and this has been reported by the administration and, and other sources that, um, the, the Russians did get into, you know, this, the key components of this critical infrastructure, um, including one of the voting machine vendors. Uh, so, the the fact that they got in is is I think uh, a given. Um, what they did once they got in, you know, who knows? And uh, and I wouldn't want to speculate. I will say, um, if I can kind of continue on with with this sure. question here a little bit, is that I do see one of the most irresponsible things that I've seen done uh, from both uh, some of the secretaries of state that have reported that have testified to Congress as well as uh some of the vendors and their statements on this is they say oh well there's no evidence that russia changed anything or deleted anything or whatever Um, however the appropriate response is that we actually have no idea what the russians did because we don't have the sensors and forensic capability in place to go back and look it is it is a it is exactly like somebody not counting their money putting it into a safe having the safe get broken into and then when somebody comes and says well did you have any money stolen they say well i have no evidence of that and it's like well wait a second you didn't count the money in the first place you don't have any cameras you know right. watching the safe like how do you know that nobody took any money and they're like well i have no evidence and it's like well okay but <laughs> but somebody broke in like you know so so I, you know, I think that that's been deeply troubling. That this response of we have no evidence of of X, Y, and Z. Well, um, there's also
2: another assumption underlying that response is that oh that this is just a one-time event. Like we have elections, for example, in New Jersey and Virginia in 2017. Mm-hmm. In 2018, we have the midterms, and of course, in 2020, we have another presidential election. And so, if to the extent that you were Penetrated, yeah. You don't know what they did, but that, that pretty sure sh- that definitely should tell you that they're going to try again. Why would you just do it once and say, "Hey, wasn't that fun?"
3: Right. Yeah. I mean, the real sin here on the part of the vendors and uh, the secretaries of State and, and some of the clerks that have, um, you know, spoken out against the stuff and said, you know, again, nothing to see here. Uh, the real sin is not that they were breached. I mean, of course they were breached. I mean, do you think that you know, these guys stand a chance against Russian hackers? I mean, of course they don't. Um, The sin is that they're not asking for help and that they're not, you know, standing on top of, you know, standing on whatever street corner with the loudest microphone they can get their hands on, you know, saying, you know, we absolutely desperately need resources, um, intelligence, uh, and so on um, from the national security community to harden our systems because, we are sitting ducks, and no one should fault them for for getting breached. It's, I mean, they don't stand a chance. Uh, what they should be faulted right. for is
2: not asking for help. And and that's and that's the problem with their response then, and and so in that environment, as I said, we have elections in 2017, and one of them is in the state of Virginia, and Terry McAuliffe, the governor of Virginia, has taken the the measure in response to your know, your effort. You um, know, in the hacker village, to decertify the voting machines being used in Virginia, and it actually calls for mm-hmm. the state to invest money into new machines. Well, what was your reaction to that?
3: Oh, I mean, we're we're really happy about it. I mean, it, it's good to have uh, something like you know to see real progress uh, this this quickly after um, the, the after DefCon. You know, usually these things take you know months or years before you actually see government do anything on it, and and that's not the case here. We we obviously applaud Governor McAuliffe. I, I think one of the um, one of the things that's most disconcerting is that I think like 40 states, um, again, don't hold me to that number, but it's it's a it's an overwhelming majority of the country is about to embark on a procurement cycle because the machines are kind of ending their lifespan, and so they'll all be out buying new machines over the course of the next 18 to 24 months, and uh, with that. You know, with that happening, if if they're not taking the security stuff seriously and um, asking the right questions of the vendors and trying to put things in place like, you know, risk limiting audits, paper ballots, um, uh, you know, the the, the the basic cyber hygiene on the clerk and secretary of state's network and their databases, um, you know, it would be a real shame because then they're stuck with this stuff um, for another 10 years.
2: Right. Now, in in 2000, we had the you know the prolonged election and you know the drama over dangling chads and butterfly ballots, and so afterwards, Congress responded and they passed the Help American Vote Act, and that was supposed to provide you know funding to states to update their voting systems. Um, where does that come in, and does Congress need to step in and set cybersecurity standards for voting?
3: uh... Yeah, so. You know, HAVA certainly, um, you know, in in some ways, you know, contributed to this. Uh, that being said, you know, again, back then, I mean, to think that someone would hack into a voting machine to change the outcome of election was, was again, a tinfoil hat issue. So I certainly don't, you know, fault the folks who put HAVA together, um, uh, for, you know, for the fact that we have some of the machines we do, um, And, you know, I mean, cybersecurity just wasn't a thing back then. So they didn't write security, um, you know,
2: requirements. Y2K was the issue then, but yeah.
3: (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Um, However, now it's, you know, now it's different. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think what I think is is really the way forward here is Congress needs to appropriate money uh, for the states uh, to buy updated equipment and improve the cyber hygiene of their networks and databases, uh, the states—the the one gripe that I really do, um, you know, get and and certainly understand from the states is that they're broke, um, and they just can't afford uh, to upgrade their machines in many cases, and certainly um, putting their the key cyber hygiene protocols and and tools in place on their networks and databases. So Congress needs to needs to fund that. This is a national security issue. We're under attack from a nation state um, that is an existential threat to the United States. So that, that's the job of Congress, to pay for that, right? Or at least to pay for, right. for the lion's share of it. Um, but then and DHS needs to put um, standards in place, security standards in place, so that uh, state and locals have to buy stuff that is actually going to help solve the problem. Um, and no one should expect, you know... Uh, a clerk or a Secretary of State to know what all those things are, but DHS does, and so they should put guidelines around what the money can and can't be spent on. Um, and then finally, we need to have uh, mandatory uh, audits in place and uh, and paper
2: ballots. very interesting. We're going to take a short break. When we come back. we're going to hear um, more on this issue and uh, learn more about jake's um, business and after these messages, you're listening to Cybelon Business Report only at webmasterradio.fm.
1: Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief test for our sponsors.
4: Webmasterradio.fm Stitcher, we can target and place your message in front of those active listeners immediately. Now, your message can be delivered with less commitment and investment on over 20 hours of weekly original content hosted by the most respected names in digital marketing. Email sales at webmasterradio.fm today and get your message delivered now.
1: Webmasterradio.fm. Take your hat off, kick your feet up, and log into the feed. We're here for you 24-7. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm.
2: And we're back, and we're talking with Jake Braun about the um, widely publicized uh, hacking, voting machine Hacker Village at DEF CON in um, July, and, and the, the fallout from it. And before we, we, we broke, Jake made a very important point about how Congress needs to step in and, and to provide states assistance, because here's the deal. There is really no political benefit to having safe voting machines in terms of you know there's no constituency that really calls for that and and so you know states have limited resources and they need to fund roads and you know other things that their constituents are going to you know vote them in or out of office on but very few people actually react on voting machines i think do you think that's a fair point jay yeah
3: absolutely i mean when was the last time you heard this come up
2: as a campaign issue None. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The None. Name of all these right, exact exactly. this. Yeah. <laughs> right, and, right, right. and and so as this is going on, you know, so the, there's the issue of what do we do? And um Senator Ron Wyden who has been very visible on this issue has actually just sent a letter to the six major voting machine manufacturers, asking for their cybersecurity protocols. And it'd be interesting to see what the response was. You know, the, the report just came out yesterday, so it, it's too early to tell. But clearly, you know, they're feeling the heat. And you know, what what what's your anticipation of where this might go?
3: Um, well, I think so. You know, I I. Uh you know, encouraged by, by the letter that he sent. Um, I would encourage him to, to try and get a, a Republican, um, you know, co-signer because I know that there are Republicans out there who, who are totally with him on this issue. And, and I just hate for this to get seen as a partisan, uh, partisan issue. But, um, you know, I, I think that the questions that he asked in there were, were certainly a, um, a good start. And I think, you know, got any, <laughs> any uh, voting uh, machine company who can't answer in the affirmative to the questions he asked, you know, basic things like, do you have a chief information security officer? You know, have you done um, cyber testing on your equipment? Um, You know, do you have cybersecurity plans in place for your software development, stuff like that? I mean, if, (laughs) if they can't answer yes to those questions, then I mean, they, you know, know, shouldn't be in this business. Um, I do think that there's some other things we need to, we need to think about. Um, So for example, um, sourcing of, uh, parts. So there's a, there's a whole global supply chain here of the electronics that go into the machines. And there's this kind of fallacy that, uh, you know, that that has been kind of promulgated, um, by the voting industry that, um, you know, these, there's so many different types of machines and the elections are administered by so many different, uh, I mean, over 3000, uh, counties and cities that uh, the disparate nature of our election infrastructure actually keeps us protected because while you might be able to get into one machine here and one machine there and so on, it'd be hard to affect the whole country at once um, because it's such a patchwork. Um, However, that kind of falls on its face when you look at the supply chain and that uh, the chips and so on uh, come from all over the world. And frankly, you just got to get into a handful of factories uh and and you could infect the chips of hundreds of thousands of machines all at once and once those things are turned on they could be you know talking back to Mother Russia um immediately. And again, you know, this was tinfoil hat stuff even a year ago. Um but, you know, this is the type of stuff Russia knows how to do. This isn't like some, you know, corrupt city clerk that we're saying is gonna go break into a a manufacturing plant in, you know, the Philippines. And, uh, in fact, CHIPS, this is Russian intelligence operatives who do this type of stuff all the time.
2: <laughs> and, and what do what you think should be done then? I mean, what do you do? Do you have to vet each supplier, or how does that work?
3: It, yeah, I mean, there, there's, so there should be a, a um, an assessment of uh, the, the supply chain in general, um, there should be, you know, vetting of the, of the chips and, and other electronics parts and code for that matter. Um, that being said, I think most people in this industry know that uh, ultimately that's an unwinnable, um, you know, scenario because there's just so much code is written from so many parts of the world and, and same with the chips and so on. Uh, that, we're, that while we should do that, at the same time, uh, this is exactly why. We need to have paper ballots that are hand marked or human marked paper ballots uh, that and require a small but statistically significant randomized uh, audit of the election before results are announced. So what that could look like is is literally as simple as two or three thousand ballots um, randomly counted statewide. Um, you know, that's a couple hundred ballots in 10 or 15 precincts. Um, hand counted just to check and make sure that they actually match what the machines are saying. Um, And then if they don't, okay, well, you can do a a broader audit. But um, if we just did that, something as simple as that, that is essentially free, um, that would give us an enormous amount of uh, trust that the, that what the machines are telling us um, is correct. Um, And and, and that's really what the Russians are after here is, is undermining trust. Um, that's exactly. a heck of a lot easier to do than than really flipping an
2: election. Now um, we only have a few minutes left, and I'd like to can you tell people a little bit about what you do with with um, Cambridge Associates and Global Institute Cambridge Global Advisors, and in what what role they play?
3: Sure. Um, so we are a national security uh, strategy, policy, and communications firm. Um, we help uh, corporate clients uh, who have uh, who do work in the national security space um, on things like cybersecurity, uh, data analytics around counterterrorism, and uh, stuff like that. We also uh, work with governments around the world um, for their cybersecurity policy, um, strategy, and and communications. Um, and we we have actually worked with state and local um, governments. I would like to say, with all the kind of criticism I've had for uh, many of the um folks in this space that uh some of the folks in, in Cook County, Illinois, by the way, were were great with this. There's a group called IGO of of county clerks um nationally that um is actually having us do a presentation to their members uh because they're taking this stuff very seriously. Um and so we, we um there there are folks in this in this space uh that do that do get how serious this is and are doing everything they can to um uh to to do this right. And um, anyway, so, you know, we, we advise uh, corporations, governments, and so on on cybersecurity policy and strategies and, and uh, that type of stuff. We have a kind of a a list of or a long list of uh, very senior former national security officials. So uh, uh, General Doug Lute uh, was the most recent U.S. ambassador to NATO. He was the uh, ambassador to NATO when uh, in 2016 when all this was happening. He also served in uh, the Bush administration. Um, uh, on the Iraq Afghan uh, war policy at the end of the administration during the surge. Um, uh, General Frank Taylor, who uh, was the Undersecretary for the Intelligence Division of, of uh, Homeland Security that actually did the assessment of uh, the risk for um, state and local governments leading into the election, uh, works with us as well. He was also in the Bush administration as the head of diplomatic security at the State Department. Um, Chris Burnham, uh, Undersecretary of Management of the State Department um, was on the Trump uh, Trump transition team for State, um, and so on. So we're a bipartisan firm. Have uh, senior officials from both sides of the aisle um, who who really uh, spent their careers understanding uh, how technology and uh, national security uh, intertwine.
2: And what's for people who want to follow you and your your company? What's the best way for them to do so?
3: Oh. our uh, website is CambridgeGlobalAdvisors.com, um, and you can find us on Twitter at uh, Cambridge Global.
2: Great, and uh, I want to thank you for joining us, and this is very very important issue, and we only have a few minutes left, so just to, for those, um, check out our show notes. We have a complete profile on Cambridge Global and on Jake, so definitely check it out. Also, we have a, a rundown on our upcoming shows, as well as um, information on a privacy webinar series being done by the California Bar IP section. I'm, I'm the Vice Chair of the um, Technology Internet and Privacy section. And we have a series of um, webinars coming up on privacy starting on Tuesday, October 10th, um, that's gonna deal with um, privacy in Brexit, as well as uh, another one on the 17th on privacy law in Canada in California, and then on the 24th on privacy law in M&A transactions. So information on our, uh, our blog, uh, cyberlawradio.wordpress.com so um and join us next week we're going to be talking about a new law passed that went into effect uh, this week in germany that requires removal of any hate content within 24 hours we're going to have andre shalal uh, a Reuters reporter in berlin to talk about the fallout from that thank you for joining us um feel free to check out the internet law center internet for information about our firm we're a full service firm in internet law And then again, join us next week right here on Webmaster Radio for another edition of Cybalon Business Report. This is Bennett Kelly from Washington, D.C. saying see you next week. Have a great week.
4: The opinions expressed on the program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.